I'll run into a Christian, and uh, they'll sort of uh, indicate, you know, that they're living a kind of boring life. A Christian living a boring life. And, you know, I think of this verse that's been our theme verse for the summer, that Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly, and that our abundant life not only satisfies us, but spills over into other people's lives. And so, uh, you know, I just love that story from Joanne, because... Uh, the truth of the matter is the Holy Spirit wants to use us, right? We talked about John 15 a little bit this morning in the music and, and uh, how if we abide in Christ, you know, that it's like we're a branch attached to the vine and the sap is what produces the fruit, but we're the branch, we're the, we're the channel through which God brings his uh, life to other people. And so it's just kind of exciting uh, to think about this, but... Remember we said there were 15 times in the New Testament the Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit. When we become a Christian, we're baptized into Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that. That's a once and for all. Uh, But after that, the Bible 15 times talks about filling our lives with the Spirit. We said there were four different ways in which God fills our life with his Spirit, right? And we said through the Bible, because the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, he'll speak to us from the Bible and we'll be filled with his presence and understanding and so on. And then we said that also through prayer, uh, as we pray, the Holy Spirit, you know, sometimes it's great in prayer to just stop and say, Holy Spirit, if you want to say something to me, I'm just going to be quiet now and listen for your still small voice, you know? And, uh, and then we said the church, why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you and me, right? And so when we hang out together and we listen to each other, the Holy Spirit can use me to speak to you and use you to speak to me. And we all have those encounters, right? When we're together in some kind of fellowship and we just sort of feel all of a sudden the Spirit is talking to us through another person. Why? Well, because the Holy Spirit lives in people. And so when we hang out together or we be the church together, uh, that's part of what happens is we uh, stay filled with the Spirit. But the last one we said was obedience. So I'm walking down the aisle in the food store and the Holy Spirit prompts us, right, with a little prompt, you know, go buy a can of that stew and bring it to your neighbor, you know, and I say, no. And then the Holy Spirit says again, I say, no. Now, you laughed when she said that. But I know that that was a nervous laugh because you've done that. You've had those promptings, and I've had those promptings, right? And, and the Holy Spirit is trying to just nudge us a little bit to do something that the Holy Spirit knows we should be doing. And when we're obedient, we say yes instead of no. It's always inconvenient. It always costs something. It's always a sacrifice. It's always about time and money, you know? And, and, but what an exciting life. If you want your life to go from boring to adventure, just say yes to those promptings. Give it a shot. See what happens. We're like, well, I don't know what will happen if I go for it. Well, go find out. Just go for it and see what happens. And the Holy Spirit uses our lives in that way, and we stay filled. And that's where this life that's abundant comes from, uh, staying in touch with the Holy Spirit. So praise God for uh, his spirit that he gives to us and for Joanne who finally said yes and uh, for this neighbor John who, uh, you know, three days with nobody checking on him. You know, there's a lot of people like that and some of them are probably our neighbors as well and uh, we have the opportunity to uh, represent God to them. So 
This morning, I'd like to just invite you to think with me a little bit about um, a, a new identity. This life that Christ came to give us, when, when we become a Christian, we're actually giving, given a whole new identity. Uh, we talked about the Holy Spirit being the source of it, but this morning I'd like to just invite you to think about our identity in Christ, you know. Second um, Corinthians 5.17 says, you know, if you're in Christ, right, you are a whole new creation. You're not the same as you used to be. If you invite the God of the universe who created you to come and live in your life, you can't be the same. You're, you're somebody entirely different. The old has gone, the new has come, and so forth. And in our scripture reading this morning that Carrie read, uh, you see that it's God's will that you and I be filled with the fullness of God, Paul says to the Ephesian church, that you would understand how much God loves you so that God's love would sort of take over your whole life and you would be filled with the fullness of God. Imagine that. Uh, remember we said that being a Christian is, uh, the word Christian just means little Christ, right? And so we are Christ walking around, you know, in 2023 representing uh, God. And our identity, I want to suggest to you this morning, uh, identity is a really big issue. We have a lot of issues going on in our culture with people trying to figure out their identity. Would you agree? Right? There's all kinds of ways people are trying to figure out uh, who they really are. And our identity really is a big deal because it answers the question, you know, who am I? So if I go up to you this morning and say, hey, who are you? What are you going to say? You're probably going to start with, well, my name is so-and-so, you know, and, uh, and then you're going to say, and I work at such-and-such, and I'm related to whoever, and, and, and so on. Who are you? What's your real identity? And I want to suggest to you that our identity is uh, created primarily by our relationships to either somebody or something. We create our identity by our relationship to somebody or something. And so when life changes, which it always does, it creates an identity crisis for many people because their identity is tied to somebody. I'm talking to a a couple of people right now whose dads are both dying and, um, you know, a big part of their identity is their relationship to dad and dad's about to die and their identity, their, their core understanding of who they are is all shaken up because the world changes, okay? And so um, there was a guy named Solomon. I'm sure you've heard of him. He was Israel's third king and uh, he was the product of David and Bathsheba. And uh, it seems that uh, at a certain time in his life, he was searching for his identity. And uh, thankfully for us, uh, as he was trying to find himself, he kept a journal. And he wrote down, you know, his experiences. And we have it in our Bible called Ecclesiastes. And uh, Solomon, the Bible says, was an extremely wise person and very prosperous. So he had the time and the money uh, to try to find uh, his identity. And so when you go to Ecclesiastes, you have a, a record of all the different things. And so he sets out to try to think, uh, try to uh, relate to anything you can think of and attach himself to someone or something that would satisfy his need for uh, understanding who he was, his identity. Now you can understand 
if you're the product of an affair, right, you have some questions about, you know, where did you come from and how did you get here and what's your purpose and, and all of that. And so you can understand why this would be an interesting thing for uh, King Solomon to do. And uh, the, the phrase that runs through his journal, of course, you know, right, is he tried everything under the sun. He tried everything that he could think of to figure out who he was under the sun. He got into education. That was a big deal at the beginning. Then he got into real estate projects and he built gardens and he got into music and the arts and every pleasure that you could possibly think of. And then he gets to the end and he says, you know what? He says, this is all meaningless. This is all meaningless. This is like chasing after the wind, he says. It's all meaningless. He tried, you know, absolutely everything. And then uh, after a while, he has some time to think after this whole experience and so forth. He wrote most of uh, Proverbs, not all of them, but... And in uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 19, uh, here's the conclusion he sort of came to. It says, um, what is desired in a man is steadfast love. What a person really wants, what I'm really looking for as I try to figure out who I am, is steadfast, you know, or unfailing, some of your Bibles might say unfailing, love. I'm looking for love, you know, like my two friends from their dad, you know, as this love source that they're about to lose. And what I really need, you know, is to have steadfast love. What's desired in a man is steadfast love. What we really want, what we were made for, right, is a love relationship with God, and sin separated us from that. And so what we're left with is what I call a longing for belonging, a longing for belonging, or a steadfast, unfailing kind of love that I can count of that I can identify with, that I can figure out who I am from. And I would say that our culture, this uh, longing for belonging, uh, the culture we live in reflects this quest uh, quite a bit, right? Uh, uh, How many uh, romance novels can you find in a bookstore, you know? Uh, And they just keep cranking out, right? Uh, Just more and more. Uh, Hollywood cranks out more and more movies, and love stories are at the core of uh, so many of these movies. Music longs for lyrics of love. And of course, there's always the Hallmark Channel where everybody always ends up just fine, you know? But guess what? All of these things are under the sun. All of these things are about this life. They're all under the sun. Uh, And so when we attach our longing for belonging to something under the sun or this life, Um, We never are really satisfied, which is why our culture can just keep cranking out these uh, kinds of things, because people just keep looking uh, for this uh, desire that we have for this unfailing kind of love. And um, what's so important to understand is that when we look for um, another human being to kind of complete us and to give us that unfailing uh, love, um, it never works because something always happens, right? And it goes away. And so uh, we have this God-shaped hole in our heart uh, uh, in the shape of God that is a longing for belonging. And um, you might want to ask yourself, why do you think it is that people 
like start giving up who they are in order to be accepted in some group or by some person. Uh, Why do people compromise their values at work? Why do they do that in order to fit in with whatever the culture might be uh, at work or to be accepted by some boss? Or, you know, why do we care so much about what other people think about us or say about us and so forth? Well, because we crave that unfailing acceptance. And if we look to anybody or anything under the sun to do it uh, for us, we will be disappointed. And uh, we will go along and and find that uh, people, you know, always break their promises. They exclude you, reject you, embarrass you, use you, and so forth. In fact, in this same uh, section of Proverbs that Solomon wrote, uh, a couple of verses later, he says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, okay, but a faithful person who can find I think of all the weddings I've done, right? And we all stand there and we profess and proclaim our steadfast love, you know? And then we get usually seven years into the marriage and all of a sudden our steadfast love gets a little shaky. And all of a sudden the exact thing that attracted me to you is now the thing that repels me from you. I thought it was so great, you know, but man, when I've lived with it for seven years, it gets annoying after a while. Well, we don't want to go down that rabbit trail. (laughs) And so, you know, when uh, that steadfast love doesn't come through, uh, it changes us. And a lot of times we get angry, right? And here's the problem with anger. Anger leaks. And it leaks into other relationships, right? And, uh, and then we become this kind of different person that we don't want to be. And uh, anger can go into bitterness. And, uh, you know, uh, most depression has anger behind it. We end up kind of withdrawing. We end up kind of keeping to ourselves. We're just like, I'm done with people because people always let us down. And, you know, I was thinking that, you know, I could find this great love and all of this, but it's not there. And, uh, but you know why? Because uh, even Solomon knew way back when he was searching for his own identity in uh, Ecclesiastes, he writes uh, in the third chapter, the 10th and 11th verse, Uh, He says, you know, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, and he has made everything beautiful in its time, and also he has put eternity into people's hearts. Why doesn't anything under the sun satisfy us? Well, because God has put and planted eternity into people's hearts. There is more to life than your first hundred years. There is eternity And the first hundred years is maybe this long. I know it seems longer from time to time, but eternity just goes on and on and on and on and on. And God has put eternity into our hearts. And so if we try to satisfy that longing for belonging or that God-shaped hole in our hearts with something under the sun, we just set ourselves up for disappointment. Uh, So I want to suggest to you that the only way that we can really uh, establish our true identity an identity that can never be taken from us and never undermined is to realize that in Christ, I am a daughter or a son of the living God. Our Father, who art in heaven. Our identity is established by our relationship, right, with people or things. And here, God comes to us in Christ and offers us a whole new identity, an identity in Christ that is 
to be a daughter or a son of the living God. And uh, this is pretty important, I think, um, because at the very core of my identity, if my relationship with God defines who I am, uh, it means that I have a father who loves me and who accepts me and who sees me as righteous, who sees me as righteous in Christ. It's kind of like the father of the prodigal son. You remember the prodigal son? He give me my money and I'm off and he blows it off and uh, he has no place else to go so he decides to go home and he's expecting this lecture from the father. And what happens? He gets there and the father hugs him, loves him, kisses him, bring the robe, bring the ring, Welcome back into the family. Kill the cow. We're having veal tonight. You know, this, we're partying. This is the father. So if I were to ask you, how do you think God looks at you right now? How do you think God looks at any one of us? What, what's, what's he see? What's his attitude? Is he smiling? Is he, uh, come on, Joanne, say Yes. What's he, you know, what if he sees you as righteous? What if your identity is righteous in the eyes of the Father? Um, because here's what happened, you know, God took Jesus, who was sinless, and treated him as if he was a sinner, the worst sinner of all. All the world's sin put it on him, treated him like a sinner, put him on the cross, so that God could take you and me and treat us as righteous, without sin, so that God could smile on us today. Do we believe that? Is that our identity? Is that how we think about it? When you got up this morning and looked in the mirror, did you say, here's a guy that God is smiling at today in Christ? He's righteous, you know? Uh, Philippians, uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3 and uh, verses 8 and 9 uh, the Apostle Paul, okay, now the Apostle Paul was, you know, a Jew of Jews, right? He was a Pharisee, he was well-schooled, he had doctorates, he had, you know, uh, you name it, and he was it, and so forth. And here's what he says, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count Everything else, in my, everything else that you would put on your resume as your identity, I count all of that, he says, as loss in exchange for knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage. Garbage, Paul says. Rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. <laughs> because that's my whole identity. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own. I'm not going to heaven with a resume that I'm going to lay on the table before Jesus and say, this is why you should accept me in here. Right? Paul's like, I'm not going, I, I, I want to be found in Christ not having a righteousness of my own uh, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith in Christ. Righteousness. God sees me as righteous. Uh, I have a father who loves me and accepts me and uh, sees me as righteous. I have a brother, a big brother named Jesus, who thinks I'm worth dying for. 
I get my self-esteem and self-value from the fact that there's a son of the father who thinks I'm worth dying for. And I have a spirit inside of me who reminds me constantly who I am, leads me, teaches me. And, and by the way, I also happen to be a businessman or businesswoman. And by the way, I also happen to be a truck driver or a landscaper. And by the way, I also happen to be a father or a mother. And by the way, I also happen, in addition to my great core identity, I happen to be you know, a pastor or a Baptist or a friend or a neighbor or whatever. But that's not my prime identity under the sun. My prime identity is over the sun. <laughs> over the S-O-N, right? Ah, over the sun. That's where my identity comes from. That's who I am. And uh, one of the ways the Bible talks about this um, is in um, uh, just the little word in. In um, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 22, for example, um, if you think about, you know, how God sees us or how God looks at us, uh, verse 22, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ, in God's eyes. You're either, I see you through Adam or I see you through Christ. Either Adam is your representative head before God or Christ is your representative head before God, right? He's kind of your representative before God. I'm either in Adam or I'm in Christ. It's one of the ways that the Bible talks about this. And so what does it mean to be in Christ or in Adam? Well, it means that this Adam or Jesus is your family head. And uh, if you think about it, whoever your family head is, your family head gives you your name, gives you your nature, gives you your inheritance, gives you your destiny. We all come into the world in Adam, and we start with his nature, and uh, we inherit a broken world from him, and we have a destiny that's determined by Adam. Uh, somebody asked one time, you know, how bad do you have to be to go to hell? And of course, the correct answer is, right, you don't, you don't have to do anything at all. Just it's, it's you're on your way there by nature because you were born in Adam. And that's the destiny of those who are not spiritually alive. Uh, what, what do you have to do to end up in hell? Nothing, right? We're headed there. But in sending Jesus into the world, God gives us an option, right? And uh, we don't have to stay in Adam. We can choose to give up that identity and embrace a whole new identity in Christ. In um, Colossians, uh, the apostle Paul writes to this church and he says, you know what happens in uh, Colossians chapter one, he says, um, uh, when, God, when, you, when God knows that you've put your faith in Christ, God actually transfers you out of the kingdom of Adam, out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light or the kingdom of Jesus. God transfers us. God now sees us in a whole different light, right? Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And uh, look, may you be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for endurance and patience and joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. God in his mind, transfers us out of that old kingdom in Adam 
and into this new family, this new kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. And uh, when we put our faith in Jesus, God knows about it and God changes us. And that's why Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, hey, when you become a Christian, you're a whole new creation. You have a whole new identity. Your identity is no longer limited to what's under the sun. Your identity is now connected to who you are in Christ and uh, your heavenly father, God, who loves you and accepts you and so on. And so uh, you, you know that one of the first things that God asks us to do when we're a Christian, the first thing when we become a Christian is to get baptized. I mean, we're Baptists, right? We understand this. And so one of the first things God asks us to do, because when we become a Christian, God baptizes us into Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that, you know. And, uh, and then water baptism is a symbol of this identity, this new identity. I'm identifying with Christ. I go under the water. I died with Christ. When he died on the cross, uh, that old life in Adam died with him. God identified me with him on the cross, you know, and uh, maybe one of the drops of blood that shed there had my name on it and your name on it and so on and so forth. And God put us there and we died and we go under the water and then we rise up and identifying with Christ into new life, eternal life. We're no longer limited to under the sun. All of a sudden, our life is expanded way beyond under the sun. And we have this marvelous eternal life. Now, just let me say in closing here that, you know, uh, when the Bible says you and I are a new creation, and this is really, you know, if you don't remember anything, try to remember this. Um, I want to suggest to you that our identity does not refer to our behavior. Our identity, our new identity in Christ, God seeing us, again, think of the father and the prodigal son. My relationship does not depend on my behavior. Now, yes, a changed identity will lead to changed behavior, but I want to say these are two separate things. My identity who I, is about who I am. My behavior is about what I do. Okay? And we all have problems when they don't match up. So, when I got hired at my former church, um, I, was, I got a new identity. I was the pastor. Now, I'd never been a pastor before. Nobody ever called me pastor. The first Sunday I show up, people are like, pastor. I'm like, I'm looking for, like, where is he, you know, kind of thing, because I'd never been a pastor before, right? So I found out that um, there are some behaviors that pastors are not supposed to do, okay? And I found out the hard way. We had an excellent location where our building was kind of on a main road we were right on 95 with property along 95 but we didn't have much property so all of a sudden a house adjacent to our property became for sale and uh, there were some tax laws that were going to change and the woman who owned the house wanted to sell it before the end of the year it's now like December 16th okay so she's talking to me and she tells me she'd sell the house to the church and we can make a deal and she can save on taxes and blah 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 so I call a realtor in church right who I had gotten to know, and I said, Betty, uh, here's the deal. What do you think? Can we do something? She's like, oh, yeah, you can always do something. And so we go talk to this lady. We buy the house for the church. Just buy the house. We don't ask anybody. We don't just, we just buy a house, piece of property, right? So we get to the next Sunday, and I'm, like, feeling like a hero. Like, you know, I'm going to stand up in front of church, and I'm going to tell these people, boy, do I have great news. We bought a house. 
Well, I got shot down like a turkey on Thanksgiving, okay? (laughs) My identity was still the pastor, but I was losing points fast, right? I still had my identity, but my behavior needed to catch up to who I now was, right? I needed a little time. I didn't understand, you know? And then uh, another thing happened uh, not too long after that. Um, I wake up on a Sunday morning, and we used to get the newspaper. It used to be a newspaper. used to come, you know, a paper like this, you know, coming. (laughs) And it used to get dropped off at the end of the driveway. And uh, so one Sunday morning, I get up early, I get the newspaper, front page of the newspaper, headline, Vandals Steal Trees from Town Property. So... um, There was a policeman in our congregation, and he and I both had wood stoves. And so we used to go and cut wood together. And so we were out in the forest someplace cutting down trees, you know, and cutting them up for firewood and dumping them off at our houses and so forth. And so we come back to go get some more, and we've got pictures on trees of our houses with the wood in front of us cutting down trees. There had been somebody in the woods taking pictures of us, right? And then it says, police have been notified. And then the next morning, they're on the newspaper, vandals, right? So long story short, we don't have time, but um, I found out that church people don't like their pastor being called a vandal, (laughs) right? So you see, your identity, I was still the pastor, but again, I was losing points fast, right? And um, your identity and your behavior are two separate things. And uh, could it be that your identity is not determined by your behavior, but by the love of God who sent Jesus Christ to die in your place, get rid of all your bad behavior, and look at you as righteous and can't wait to meet you face to face. Wow. So, we have the opportunity to celebrate communion this morning. And uh, one of the things that communion is all about is making sure that we never forget who we are. That we never forget our identity. You remember? Uh, Jesus wanted to make sure that we would never forget that we are blood-washed people. So, I wonder if you would be willing to uh, join me in the Lord's Prayer and then we'll take communion together. Let's, let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.